Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 221, Everyone is Hearing the Drumbeat. This week we're discussing season 7, episode 14 of Buffy, First Date, and season 4, episode 20 of Battlestar Galactica, Islanded in a Stream of Stars. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, uh, first date is first up this week. Yes. Um, Buffy episode. Um, want to start with all of the dating stuff um, and kind of want to culminate in Giles' uh, speech about all the dating. Um, but first go through <laughs> all of the, the Buffy, all of it just needs to put a stop to it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's and, start with the Buffy side of things. And oh, sorry, actually, you're sorry, gonna... I, I know I, I got to interrupt because I know we didn't discuss it um, ahead of time, uh-huh. any production notes. But this is a Jane Espenson episode. Oh, so, is it? I totally uh, didn't didn't. Uh, Realize that. It, I, you know, I mean, there's some funny parts in it, but it, I don't think it quite has her signature mm. humor or style. Um, maybe maybe upon knowing that now and going back, like, there are probably things we could pick out, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's not quite as... Maybe, maybe there's a lot more just kind of going on plot-wise that needs to be set up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But... Um. Yeah, well, and all right, I don't want to preempt because when we talk about Giles, I do want to talk about maybe more from a either a meta or like a bird's eye point of view about yeah. like the idea of like the the fun standalone like rom-com episode and everything. Um, but let's not do that first. Let's start with the individual stories. Um, and wanted to do the Buffy stuff first, which kind of incorporates both Spike and Principal Wood. Um, yeah. So, hey, I was right about my prediction that Buffy would remove the chip. Um, sure. M- perhaps I. that's not a huge, amazing accomplishment, you know? Like, I feel like after seven years of watching her, I hope I could maybe... Right. predict some of her choices and right. uh and I'm sure plenty of other people did too but I I'm sure the you know forums back in the day were very uh you know the the budding early 2000s you know whatever whatever it passed as forums right. in those days the message boards message yeah. boards and stuff yeah we're like all a, a, a flutter. I almost said a Twitter, but like there was no Twitter, so um, this was like in lieu of Twitter and and whatever else you know right. we have today. Uh, right. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure there were men, many debates going on and much reasoning as to why yeah. one faction was correct over the other and vice versa. Right. Right. And. You know, they have obviously like the characters comment on the wisdom of that decision. And she is like a little, I want to say a little bit defensive about it of like, she kind of realizes how it comes across and wants to kind of say like, 
like, well, I had my reasons. And like, you know, like there is that note in her voice of, um, you know, don't judge me in my decision. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Giles definitely still feels like she's, uh, her, her decisions are compromised by mm -hmm. her history with Spike and everything. Um, even as he lectures about wary watchfulness and gets like tackled out of nowhere, he's also still kind of reminding her to be watchful of Spike. Um, but at the same time, she is admitting some level of interest in Principal Wood. Um, so here's the thing, and I don't even necessarily mind this, this isn't a criticism, but we get in this episode her kind of voicing, I guess being the mouthpiece of the audience and doing the kind of thing of waffling over Principal Wood's nature. Like, he could be a really charming good guy or he could be a really charming evil bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, and her being completely torn, which is kind of funny because that's exactly how I felt uh, leading up to this episode of like pretty much on the fence and there's like he, very little to decide between so, the two. So, so, so you felt he's hot, but he could be evil. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> sure. <laughs> A hot principal with earrings. Um, right. <laughs> and like, and to, but even to like show the that things he, about, he has some street cred at least. Yes. <laughs> but like even the thing about, um, Oh, what was the line I was thinking of? Um, where, like, he's too good to be true. You know, he's a little too charming to be real. Like, yeah. even his good qualities are suspicious. And, in fact, that's the most suspicious thing about him is how kind of smooth and yeah. attractive he seems in that position of, like, A, you're so used to the kind of, you know, Principal Snyder and Fluties being the sure. ones. So there's the fact that he kind of breaks that tradition but also just like if he's there to deceive her well isn't it isn't it obvious that he's going to take the guise of somebody trustworthy and charming and that's going to try to sure. manipulate and and you know kind of trick her into trusting him and all those things um but it kind of what cracks me up about it is like we've been having that conversation but i didn't necessarily feel like the characters were having that conversation up until now. It's really only in this episode that Buffy starts kind of voicing the like, oh, yeah, there is this principle. And like, you know what? I kind of like that guy. Like, he is really likable and charming. Might be evil. You know, there's always that possibility. And just the kind of matter-of-fact way she just throws that out there. Sure. Um, and then goes on the meeting slash date with him because either way it'll be interesting, you know, and that she's kind of really not too invested in the outcome of it. Right. Like it's not going to be like if he turned out to be, a, you know, uh, an agent of the first, I mean, he might be anyway, but like in the sense of like a bad guy, um, it's not going to be the kind of betrayal of when Angel went bad, right? Like, mm. she's not invested in Robin. We'll use his 
Well, we're on a first name basis now. Um, it's, it's just weird. It's just yeah. weird. Yeah. I don't know if he's like, does he not feel like a Robin or is it because like, it's like that authority figure thing of like, it's hard not to just call him by his property. Yeah. I, I think um, we just don't know him well enough yet. Right. Right. But right. like, we're keeping him at a little bit of a distance, which I feel like but, is what Buffy's doing. Like, like if, but like she goes on the date, but if he turns out to be evil, it's not going to be like a devastation. It's going to be like, oh, okay. Like it could have gone either way and it's kind of fine either way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, can, can I just say though, in, in thinking about this, and, and this is obviously, I haven't done like in-depth like cultural study of this phenomenon or anything, but okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure like whenever I see his name pop up in like the different you know, Buffy groups or whatever on Facebook or, or whatever. I, I'm i pretty sure I always see it either full name, Robin Wood, never just Robin, or Principal Wood. Like, I, I, I think that's, I don't think it's just us, is sure. I guess what I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's, that's a thing that, like, just in the fandom, it's like, mm. Principal Wood. Like, that's just who he is. And... Whether that's because that's how it's in, he's introduced, and and so that just sort of by default because, but like there's other characters and people who we're introduced to who like we don't necessarily use the name exactly. I guess that's not wholly true, but like, sure, like we all know, like I don't know, I can't, I can't think of an example of what I'm trying to say off the top of my head, right. but like I don't know, like. Well, maybe okay. that's just uh, it, I would but. I would contrast it maybe with um like the characters in BSG who all have proper rank and titles but like you know I I see fans refer to them as you know it could be um Starbuck or it could be Kara you know or it could be sure. you know, like there's no like you, you know the character well enough to use whichever you yeah. prefer. Um, whereas, like, this is more... Yeah, there is that level of... Now, we don't we haven't known Robin for four years. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, you know, let him <laughs> in. Let him into the inner circle. Um, sure. Maybe it's a function of how late he gets introduced. Of do you really feel like you have enough time to... Sure. Become... On that first name basis, like even if he is a good guy and remains so, is he ever really among the inner circle or capable of being that, or is is he at too much of a of a distance, like held at arm's length or something? Um, right. Yeah, I think he's a very kind of formal type of person. It seems like. Not, sure. Not offensively so, but like he's he, from what we've seen so far, it's always in the context of that authority of like being in a suit and being the principal. And, you know, it's really not until this episode that we get any sense of him outside of that context. So. Um, so I'm what, curious to know, like, if how, how what Buffy does, like. Does she start calling him Robin or Yeah. Does it is it still Principal Wood? That's I don't that'll yeah. be interesting to see. Um so okay. Uh a couple couple 
sort of additional things just to backtrack a little bit. Um, there was a point I wanted to make, and I'm saying it this way because I can't remember what it was, and I'm trying to stall and see if it'll come to mind. But uh, when I just watched the episode of The Office where Michael's like, sometimes I start a sentence and I don't know where it's going. <laughs> yeah, or uh, or Doctor Who, or that one kind of got away from you, didn't it? Right, right, right. Um, something interesting will happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, oh, his so his demeanor. Um, yeah. You were sort of contrasting him with the other principals. I also wanted to contrast him, though, with someone like um, the mayor, right? Mm. Who, who, I think, I think there's an argument that we could say with Robin that we're kind of seeing him in the way that like the rest of the town saw the mayor is kind of maybe a wholesome thing. But I mean, the difference there is that we saw the mayor in his non-wholesomeness, right? Like mm-hmm. we saw him when he was kind of sleazy and scumbaggy and, and, you know, behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So like, but we know that he put on a front for everyone else. And so you could almost kind of say like, you could almost make the argument that like, there's a possibility we were seeing Robin in the way that like a lot of people saw the mayor is just this like, wholesome guy yeah he's you know he was a politician but you know there's a certain type of person who becomes a politician maybe but like he's like on the nicer side of that and family values and all that um not to say that like those are all things associated with robin but maybe on that side of things where it's like you see like he's a good administrator he cares about his students like we even saw him with like the two students where like he kind of tried to you know fake him out a bit and they kind of called him on it. And then he was just like, like, like we saw him screw up and mess up a little bit, which maybe if he was like a dastardly evil guy, like mm-hmm. it would be more, you know, uh, I don't know, planned out or, you know, more like sinister or something. And, and, and so like, Maybe there's an opportunity there to kind of view it as that as well. Just just another way to contrast it, you know, against right, right. Uh, uh, another character that we had sort of seen from that um, aspect yeah. of like, you know, too nice to actually be a good person. Right, right. Although, although that turns out to be true from what we can see, like. He seems like the mayor, but his, his wholesomeness is genuine. Um, Like there's actually, there actually are family values behind it. It's not like the mayor. um, Sorry, there are people running above my head. Um, (laughs) It's not like the mayor who kind of, like, I know, I know you argued to what extent the mayor may have actually cared about faith to a certain extent, but also like sure, kind of used her at least yeah. to a certain, you know, and, and didn't really have, he had allies maybe, or he had, you know, toadies or minions, but he didn't have like, there was no family to back up the family right. values he projected. Whereas like, you know, to kind of go talking about, um, Robin's backstory um it's all motivated by family um like the the memory and the justice of the family that he lost um Mm -hmm. is kind of what's driving him um which all right so 
he is the son of the slayer that Spike killed on the subway car from what episode was that again? I don't even remember. Not that it's important, but uh, I think that was Fool for Love. The, okay, what well, that Spike like return episode? Re, yeah, but that was like right. So like the main story was like Spike returns to Sunnydale, kind of crazy about Drusilla and. Um, that's like where the, where we get the line of like, you know, I maybe loves bitch, but at least I know it or whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, like we see the flashback of Spike killing the couple because he kills two Slayers, right? Like there was, um, the one during the Boxer Rebellion. Yes. And then, um. Now we have a name for her, Nick, mm-hmm. Nikki. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, ooh, shoot. Did we have her name yet? I was going to say, I didn't catch her oh, name. Oh, sorry. Well, that's all right. Ignore that. We, I mean, we find out fairly soon. Sure. Hereafter. That's not a, that's um, not a big spoiler. Um, so so uh, we have a last name, Wood. <laughs> Although I suppose that could have been his father's name. Um, sure. Which... which you know, I mean, if if you're reading into things, which why not, right? Like, I mean, he, why else he, are we here? He he has a stake, right? A wooden stake, and and mm-hmm. so like maybe there was a hint there all along. Um, sure. There, you know, aside from the the meta textual thing of we know that um, Joss Whedon named him after the real life movie critic, right? Right. Um, but there's, you know, that that sort of symbolic of, you mm-hmm. know, maybe that influenced the character a bit of, you know, his last name is Wood. And so, of course, he carries a wooden stake. I mean, you know, he's also attractive, apparently. And so, you know, there's maybe other connotations you could bring in there. But, uh, sure. Um, you know, and, and things can work on multiple levels. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... We, uh, it's it's not only does he kill Robin's mother, whose mm-hmm. name I won't say, whose name we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> man, I'm usually really good about spoilers, but for some reason, I, I guess I thought that we did hear her name uh, in this I, one. I, unless I, unless I missed it, but I don't. It, we, I, don't I mean, know. it might just have been my mistake. Sorry. Um, but not only does Spike kill her, remember, on the subway, mm-hmm. he he's the that's where he gets his leather jacket. Mm-hmm. It's her jacket. Right. Right. So there's obvi- I mean, obviously there's a connection there just with the killing, but even even the and I mean, not that Robin would know that or have seen that or anything necessarily. Yeah. Just um Yeah. Right. Um, right. I, well, and he doesn't even know of that it was Spike until right. this episode when right. when the first tells him and everything. So, um, but yeah, that's interesting, especially in the context of watching Andrew assume the Spike costume as a way of channeling what sure. a good kind of villain should be to kind of watch Spike develop 
or watch William develop the personality of Spike over the course of his vampire career, you know, like becoming William the Bloody and then earning the name of Spike and then getting the leather jacket. It's like watching this kind of progression of these kind of iconic Spike characteristics that like didn't all come on day one or even year one, that they were like accumulated over time. Um, I guess the, I mean, the other big revelation there too is um, the fact that, which I feel like it's pretty easy to gloss over, but I think is important the point that the nameless mother, Mrs. Wood, had um, had a son, like had a child, and which Buffy kind of sounds a bit wistful when she says that. Like, and I don't think it's something we get a lot of is like Buffy, you know, pining over children necessarily. But, like, the way that she says that kind of lets you know how much that might be on her mind. Like, I think we hear her more often express, like, doubt about, like, will I ever, you know, settle down? Or or could mm-hmm. I, you know, find a partner? Or could I get married? Or would I even live long enough to do those things? But I don't think she ever really talks much about children, if that's because of the mortality rate or because of that that lack of being able to find a stable relationship you know Mm -hmm. um that's not something she ever really considers so to kind of hear that somebody did that is kind of a big deal and it makes this slayer another slayer with family you know like that's kind of been the big key thing that separates Buffy from every other Slayer that we've really talked about is the idea of the friends and family. Right. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, it didn't, it, it's not a bulletproof shield. It didn't save this Slayer in the end. She still died and died young, but the possibility of well, having family well, is, I think, more than a little relevant. And not not that it's exactly saved Buffy all the time either. She has died twice. This is a good point. <laughs> um, the difference being that it's her friends and family both times who that bring, bring her, her back. back. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. But yeah, no, that that's an interesting point. I hadn't actually even really thought about it that way. But yeah, you're right. Like it, so she's, Buffy really kind of isn't the first one with, of, of a slayer with friends. Now, you know, Robin was four years old. Yes. You know, or whatever. I think he says that, right? I'm not, like, that's not another spoiler I just revealed. No, yeah, like, okay. he, yeah, he says that, yeah. She dies when he's, like, four. But that, but, which is interesting in of itself, because given the short lifespan of a slayer, four years isn't, like, with a, with a little baby... Like, I mean, we've seen how much trouble Buffy gets in, you know, in, you know, her seventh year as a Slayer now. But, like, that's just on her own. Like, well, I mean, with her friends and family. But, like, like, yeah, the, the implication is that, you know... Like, even, I mean, I, I guess we still don't know how old Kennedy is, but you get the sense that she's younger than Buffy, but older than all the other potentials. So, like, mm-hmm. 
but there's there you know there's even that talk of like how she's kind of like on the upper edge of like still being viable as a candidate for the slayer um mm-hmm. at, at least seemingly like that's how it kind of feels to them and so like yeah you get the sense that like by your early 20s you're not really so like i mean we don't and we don't know how old robin's mother was when she had it right like there are teenage pregnancies and there are you know Mm -hmm. you know teenage women who who have babies like i mean very easily could have had a child at 16 years old and been called to be the slayer at the same time or 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 near enough you know uh to Mm -hmm. be the same time and and been dealing with that which kind of puts an, an extraordinary like one thing to be a slayer another to be like a slayer and like a single mom or something. A single mom slayer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, which, I mean, you know, isn't that far-fetched considering sort of the, the you know, feminist and, and you know, against the patriarchy, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, thoughts and, and ideas behind the slayer, you know, right. uh, thing. But, but just, you know, adds another level of astoundingness to kind of the whole situation. Um, right. Well, and it kind of fits with the the time period, you know, that kind of 70s vibe yeah. of, of, you know, I guess kind of second wave feminism and female empowerment and that whole vibe that she gives off is kind of goes along. Like, I could see that being like, you know, fitting with the time of like, oh, yeah, she's going to be the slayer and a single mom yeah. and kick butt at both. And, you and know. we know that Robin was raised by his mother's watcher. Not by right. a father. So there doesn't seem to be a father right. in the picture for one reason or another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe the father was killed. Maybe he was never around in the first place or, you know, whatever. Right. Or there, or maybe it was supernatural or something or, you know what I mean? Like right. Robin doesn't seem to have any powers, but that doesn't necessarily mean his father didn't. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just sure. like his mother, you know, had powers or, you know, whatever. So I, and I'm not trying to hint one way or the other about any of those things, just kind of saying like, yeah, there's a very interesting sort of, you know, confluence there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of mentioned like, you know, he does seem to be, a good guy and and we assume that that's all very straightforward the only twist being the knowledge he's given by the first at the end that spike is you know the vampire that he's been searching for kind of yeah. and um yeah so uh of course and of course like every other significant man in buffy's life he's going to hate spike you know, like with a passion, like, of course, because they right. all do, um, right. for their own reasons. Um, and so, and not yeah, there's invalid reasons. No, not at all. Um, they all have good reasons. Um, so yeah, that's the, the conflict that's coming, you know, down the pike. And, well, and um, just in time for Spike to have his chip taken out too. Yes. Right. So now we can... Right. Possibly, we could have a proper fight between him and he Robin. He could fight back, right? <laughs> right, but he also has his soul. You know, sure. not not 
as recently, but, you know, fairly recently. And so now he can fight back, but will he? You know, he has a conscience now. He has self-restraint. So he could make decisions based on more than just, like, self-preservation if he wanted to. Mm. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, you've got the first, like, every other, you know, good villain that we're talking about kind of manipulating with the truth. You know, just... Right. Like, they're... they're come over to the dark side speech isn't at all convincing to a, you know, a, a genuinely good person, but useful knowledge that is passed on to you is not necessarily that easy to ignore. So it's just, the, it's just there kind of letting people know where everybody stands. Right. Um, all right. Uh, anything else like with Spike and Buffy? Um, you know, so he asks kind of, he's inclined to maybe leave. She says not to, um, but then doesn't answer the question about what that means and where Robin fits into things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that there's much more to analyze beyond that, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the Xander stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, poor Xander. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to like, we don't have to go through like every single, um, you know, chronological beat necessarily. Like, let's just kind of jump right into the revelation of the fact that, of course, she's a demon. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I will admit to not calling any of the Principal Woods stuff about, like, his mother being a slayer and all that kind of thing. But, like, the Xander stuff is more set up early on. Of, sure. like of course she's going to be a bad guy. Um, and it's, you know, completely called out in the episode of, like, yep. I knew it. Like, it's so obvious. I and, knew it the I whole mean, time. Yeah, like, she was way too willing to sit through his tales of woe with Anya. Sure. For one thing. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, which is fine. Like, I think that's... That's the joke, right? Like, right. it's it's not even, like, you get to the end and you feel bad that Xander always ends up, like, the victim of demon women who are into him. It's more like you're, like, I don't think it ever gets serious enough to really feel that bad for him. Right, you know? sure. Like, it's more, like, for the comedic effect of, you know, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Um, and so, I guess, like from maybe more a little more interesting is um we ended up taking the the title from you know the the lines that Lissa says towards the end of and we don't ever really find out who or what she is right like some agent of the first because yeah. she's opening the seal and you know she's working right she the she doesn't really she knows who the slayer is but she doesn't know 
that Xander knows her. So she's like a minion, but not like super well informed about things. Um, sure. And, and it's like one of the few times where like, like the writers don't even bother to like give us like a fake name and backstory for the demon. Right. It's like right. just yeah. some random demon woman, you know, creature or whatever, like that happens to seduce Xander to, in an attempt to like let out another of the Turrican right. vampires. Which, right. so... and and it's... Sorry, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, and it, it works as a good distraction and red herring with, with Wood. Because they're going, on the, uh, they're going on these parallel dates. And, you know, so you're doing the guessing game, or at least I am, watching of like, alright, who's going to be good? Who's going to be evil? Where's the twist? Like, it, it encourages you to be playing that, like, speculation game. Um, sure. And yeah, so uh, like her lines, I think are interesting about, um, you know, everyone like, so the, the end is coming, the final fight, everyone's hearing the drum beat. It's telling us to pick our partners, align ourselves with the good or the evil. And um, in the context of the episode, pick our partners. On the one hand, I think she kind of means it like pick a side. Um, right. you know, align with good or evil, but also like, there's a lot of pairing off in this episode of, you know, like sure. Willow and Kennedy are more of a thing than like a more of a noticeable thing. Yeah. Um, kind, kind of open about right. the like, thing they're that like, they are. Yeah. Officially a thing. Um, you know, Anya isn't paired off, but she makes that known to the group that she's, you know, she, <laughs> quite, she kind quite of vocal expresses about that frustration. Her lack of pair, being paired off, yeah. Right. Um, and then, like, Buffy and Xander are both pursuing, you know, these relationships and everything. And so, yeah, it kind of has that double meaning of, yes, pick your side, but also, like, pick your your life partner in a way. Yeah. Or, like, pick, you, pick the person who you trust. Um, yeah. You know, it, so it's not just about what team you're on, but like the individuals who you're going to really put your trust in and be with for the long haul and everything, um, which I think is interesting given the conclusion, Giles' conclusion about stop it with all this nonsense, you know, right. of you, which I kind of feel like this is probably an obvious point, but is there's a meta comment there of we don't have time for silly standalone romantic episodes anymore. (laughs) Like we're down to the last 10 and like, sure it's serious business now. And all that stuff, which used to be the kind of bread and butter of the show, right? Like, yeah, that's like the entire first season (laughs) in the first like three seasons, like the, romantic slash comedy standalone episode where somebody goes on a date and things go awry was like every third episode. Um, and they didn't have like huge mythological significance. They were just like the standalone, like this is just the adventures of these characters. Um, and it's like to the point where it's like, I feel like Giles is saying, okay, that is done. Like we don't have like, that needs to be unfortunate. And that's the sadness of a story coming to an end. You know, 
those days are over. We don't have the luxury for, for that anymore. Mm. And from now on, if it's not important to the main story, it, it, it's a distraction. Um, which I feel like is a contrast to what Liz is saying about what matters are the people and like the relationships. And like, we have to like pick our partners and decide who we're going to stand with. Like, in some ways, I think she's kind of right about that. But that's not exactly what Giles is saying. I don't know. I don't know whether that's a clearly defined theory or not. But I guess, I mean, maybe it comes down to a tension between, like, mythology or character. Like, at the end of the day is one more important than the other? Or does it end up needing to be a, a healthy balance of both? Sure. Or was Lissa just trying to open up the Hellmouth? Or that. Sometimes a Hellmouth is just a Hellmouth. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, like, I see what you're saying. I... I haven't thought about it that way, so I guess I'm trying to process a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I can't. I I I don't know. I don't know that if you presented it to Giles in sort of the way you just described it, that he would even like agree with the position you're ascribing to him per se. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like, yes, I, I, there's obviously like a very like serious, like, you know, we can't be fooling around with this, you know, high school love crap anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he kind of says that, but Mm -hmm. like, if you presented it to him as like, Oh, or like people more important or like the, mythological fight against evil more important like one is important because of the other like sure if if there weren't for people existing and and living and loving then what use is the fight against evil like you know in the big mythological sense um like i think oppressed like he would admit something like that now Mm -hmm. it you know that doesn't take away from the fact of what he's advocating here, but like, I also think that like Lissa is not quite in the way, uh, like she, I don't think she's like all about the people either. (laughs) No. And I don't think she means it that way either. Like, I'm not saying that that's her character's position. Um, yeah. And I guess that is the, Like, if pressed, I think Giles would agree, but also, like, to say, you know, um, this is enough, we need to grow up, it's time to get serious, implies that, like, you know, the the romantic stuff isn't those things, you know? And so, um, that would be the kind of follow-up question to it of, okay, if you are fighting for the fate of the world, what are you fighting for, if not for, you know their ability to 
you know, live their lives fully. Right. But on the other hand, his point is a good one that if you don't get serious and deal with the crisis, you won't have any lives to enjoy. So yeah, you can't be frivolous. about. So I, th- I, th- I do think it's like a both and kind of mm-hmm. situation. Um, meanwhile, he's got all the language barrier, um, stuff yeah. to deal with. I mean, I he's guess. He's trying to give her milk. I, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought maybe this is, maybe that whole thing is why I didn't really associate it with Jane Espenson. I felt like that was not up to her. Mm. level maybe in other I don't know did you find any of that funny like um it had its moments okay it had its moments I mean I I think the idea the flashcards are a little bit funny mostly because it calls back to Hush the the flashcards are funny yes I was thinking more like the language and like repeated lactose intolerance you know jokes sure Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had its moments. I, I I think the idea of, maybe it's the fact that it's just used as a joke, mm. is maybe it's not, like, kind of using it to its full potential, because the idea of slayers from all over the world mm-hmm. who... Not only of cultural barriers like, oh, Kennedy's rich, but like may not even speak the same language as each other. Like right. that's a that's a real cultural barrier, you know? Um and so I think that idea has some potential. Um but yeah, like is it the most is it the funniest thing? In the show, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a high bar, but yeah, it, it is a high bar. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I think it. I, I think you're right. But it, it begs all sorts of questions. Like, if she knows nothing of the language, like, how did they find them in the first place? Like, it sets my mind rolling. Of like, yeah. How did she even get here? Right. How do they? How does Giles know anything about her to explain to other people if they, like, can't communicate at all? Right. Like, um, like he goes and picks her up and gets her on a plane and, like, like, right. like, like how did how you did do all of that, that? Yeah. without knowing? And, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. 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 No, I think it's, maybe it's just a little overplayed. Um, but, yeah, um, no, I definitely agree that there's something to the idea of, there being more diversity in the potential Slayer line, um, which is a perennial criticism of Buffy and, and Whedon works in general is mm-hmm. some of the lack of diversity there. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we get a little bit with um, Chawan and, and uh, Rona a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, really not like, a ton, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. even to this point. So, um, and it, I mean, it doesn't really get better. Uh, so. Sure. Well, uh, there's not that much time for it to get better either, but, um. Right. But yeah. just like, even, even if we were like assuming that we're, you know, we continue adding potentials, it's not like, mm-hmm. 
we get a ton more diversity and, mm-hmm. you know, potentials. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, that's, like, there is poten- <laughs> there is potential there to explore, you know, more of the cultural differences and, like, the different slayers and potential slayers and that kind of thing that we just never, you know, it just kind of gets left on the table. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Um, well, not to dwell too long on that part. Um, so, okay. So we talked through, like, Buffy and Robin. Um, did you want to go into, like, their actual first date at all? I mean, I guess... I don't know how much detail we need to go into, really. I mean, we kind of talked about his history, which is um, kind of the important bit. But did you want to talk at all about the actual date or about any of the other stuff they talk about? I mean, I don't know that there's... I mean, I guess just the fact that, like, it is a date at all and not just, like, like he... Beyond just um, kind of manipulating things so that she gets a job in the school and deciding that it's time to kind of reveal himself to her, the fact that he is pursuing it as like a date too. Like he's very, he's being active in terms of the relationship, which I guess is interesting, but I mean... Yeah, you know, it seems to be going well. There doesn't, there's not a lot of time. I think it's kind of hilarious when Spike says he's going to track her down and then is like literally there, like at the table. Um. You know, and so the thing I was thinking about this last time when I was watching is, is again with you know, so many of the recent headlines and stories of like a principal dating his guidance counselor. Like, sure. Like, yeah. is there, no, and I is there even really thought about a, that. a power thing there that like, maybe if we were doing this today, you know, redoing Buffy would, would we have to like change up right. that or, and, and maybe not make it a date or, you know, maybe make it just look, I thought we both needed to be in the school and, and here's why. And mm-hmm. my mom was a slayer and you're a slayer and, you know, I've finally made my decision to actually fighting it. So that's the other piece of it. Right. His, his like, I wasn't sure if I was all in. But, like, you've got a hidden closet full of knives. Like, and you're wiping blood off it and, like, burying corpses late at night. And, right. like, like, what about you isn't all in at this point? Right. I guess. Right. And and managed to maneuver his way into the principal's position right Um, above the hellmouth and got Buffy there too. I guess that is, now that I think about it, like, yeah, there is the line about like, um, signing a, like a, you know, like declaring to HR if they're going to date, like, so that it's not like a creepy, like he forced her to do it kind of thing. Um, (laughs) <laughs> right. But I even that's like after he makes the weird creepy comment. Sure. Right. Like it's like, oh, because it, it's not uh, it's not like, uh, you know, Toby in the office, like making Jim and Pam sign something about the relationship. Right. Like it's it's like, oh, I might have to have you sign something saying I didn't say the 
weird, creepy thing I just said. The like, thing which, I just said. Which is, yeah. which is totally the... Right. You know, I mean, he's the, not paying her off, but it's that, like, idea of a settlement to get out of, like, bad behavior. Right. Right. This is, like, Weinstein Company Protocol or something. You know, um, I, I thought the name, I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like yeah. it is that idea of, like... Well, well, and it, and this is, I, you don't have to answer this question. Maybe we can come back to it at the end of the season, but it begs the question for me, like why they feel the need, like you're saying to have them as like romantic interests at all. Um, and maybe it is just that thing of like, they like having the triangle, you know, like they like, whether it's, you know, Xander and Angel or Angel and Spike or Spike and Riley or now Spike and Robin. Like there's always a yeah. a, a push and a pull in two different directions. And maybe it's just that like he fits that, that bill and everything. Right. But like with only not that many episodes left, you know, like I'm just skeptical of how much investment like, is it really worth it mm. to go that direction when, like, like you said, the fandom even never really gets comfortable with him and his first name. So, like, well, does that so tell maybe, you something maybe about I gave how away much... something I didn't mean to give away in that? But... Well, no, because I know the story continues afterwards. So I could see it being something where they set the characters up where, like, the relationship could continue kind of thing but like sure i i i won't yeah. say one way or the other whether robin appears in the comics but yeah like no i'm just saying like i i could i could see ways around it where like it, they could have a quote happy ending mm. but in the in in the show itself like do we really maybe giles is right we don't have time for this <laughs> like we have bigger fish to fry than trying to get like cozy with principal wood you know um yeah you know and the fact that like okay if you want to have him as the principal do you really need to have him as like a love interest as well um or is it just trying to shoehorn like one last romantic interest in there before the whole thing kind of wraps up. You know? So we'll see. I mean, maybe there's a point to it that justifies it, but I think that kind of remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um... I guess in our last couple minutes here, um, there's a little bit of stuff with Andrew in the first. Um, yes. Which is kind of the, a little bit of the, the continuing saga of Andrew's redemption arc. Um, which redemption is hard. Is hard. Yeah. As he informs us. Um, and, nobody, you know. Nobody in, in, can whine quite the way he does. Sure. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, I mean, little baby steps, but he's, 
he's getting there. He's moving into, you know, the good guy camp and to the point where he's actively resisting the first now, even though he's, you know, terrified and everything, um, you know, and goes in with a wire and everything ready to kind of right. spy and on even, it. So, yeah. Does, right. And that that's the thing that, um, I mean, I think perhaps obviously, you know, points to his sort of sincerity is is that he does bring in the others, right? Like he does Right, talk, he tells them. Yeah. He, like it's not just he tries to resist and and, you know, whatever, but he actually goes to Willow and and Anya and Don, I guess, and you know, gets them to you know, try to help him out. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. 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 And I guess the only other thing with the first is, I mean, the plan is to kill the potentials, which we know, like that's not right. news that's necessarily. Still the plan. But, but like the, the, you know, the overtness of the plan, it's not like the plan is out there for everybody to know. And, and the first is even, Telling them, like, this is what I'm coming to do. Like, first he tries to kind of recruit Andrew, but once it's once he's caught it, I guess. There's no gender for the first. Um, it, once it's caught, it kind of just, you know, decides to own the plan and show everyone and, like, be as threatening and scary as possible to terrify everybody. Um which is pretty, like, that was pretty nasty, the makeup that they put on uh, Danny Strong there. The, like, that kind of, like, bloated, bloody corpse with a milky eye kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I just, um, no huge revelations, but just the idea that it's back and it's kind of back in the fight, because it kind of was in retreat for a little bit there. Um, for a couple episodes anyway. They hadn't yeah. really seen or heard from the first, so the fact that it's back is kind of moving into the next attack, I guess. Yep. Um, anything that I missed that we need to hit? No, I think, uh, I think that's it. I mean, we, you know, we get the, so I guess the one question that I was going to ask, um, actually when we're talking about Xander and Lissa and, and kind of got away from me there was, uh, so we do see like the arm of a, presumably another Turrican, mm-hmm. uh, vampire coming out, um, yeah. which first of all, the arm gets chopped off. Why doesn't it turn to dust? Um, mm. That seems kind of odd to me. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, and also that must be a really heavy door, considering how much the other Turrican went through without getting beat up, like to chop sure. off its arm uh, like that. But uh, Or there's some magical element to yeah, the Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of tongue-in-cheek, maybe. But uh, <laughs> I guess my question would be like, yeah, what? so what are we... What are we working with here? Do you have any thoughts about, like, is, 
you know, how how many of these buggers are down there? Like, oh, you know, geez. like, are, you know, is this kind of a, I mean, I know we're kind of dealing with apocalypse sort of scenario, I guess. I don't know if they actually use that word or not, but um, just curious, like, yeah, like what's your sense of like, if this thing actually opens, like, what are we, what are we looking at here? Um, Any thoughts? A lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. Um, I mean, if it's apocalyptic levels, is it enough to? Is it infinite, or is it enough to effectively, you know, invade the entire Earth? Um, I guess that's what apocalypse kind of implies. Like whatever the number sure. is, it's it's more than Sunnydale can handle. Um, I mean, and I guess there's an assumption too that the Turrican is the worst there is, which I think isn't necessarily the case. Like, what else is coming through the seal? I sure. guess would be a right. question. Right. Well, that um, that was like, going to kind of be my next thing. Is like, yeah, is, is there this, something? Are they more? just like? Okay, they're like the toughest vampires we've seen. What if they're just like the foot soldiers? Um, mm. You know, like what if that's the prelude that these are? This is cannon fodder for something bigger and badder coming behind. Um, I mean, we know the first, but the first is more of a an animating spirit than it, like it's like right. it says it's not corporeal. It's not going to be like the thing that they're fighting. It's the thing that's leading and motivating what they're fighting. But, um, but like, what other weapons does it have? I, I, I don't know. Just curious if you had any thoughts. All right. That's, that's the end of my thoughts. All right. Well, then let's move on to uh, BSG, where I'm sure you'll have more thoughts. Sure. Um, yeah. And so we didn't talk about production notes for this one either. Um, I extended episode uh, mm-hmm. that we watched on the DVDs. Uh, any other notes or anything you wanted to bring up at the beginning here? Um, not really. It's the last episode written by Michael Taylor. So again, just like all the writers sort of doing their last episodes in the last like half of the season here. Um, but, um, no, I don't think I really had any other, I mean, other than the fact that it's the last standalone episode. So it's, you know, the, the final setup before the finale. So, Mm. Nope, that's kind of it. All right. So, yeah, um, kind of a lot of different hopping around in this one, as with the Buffy episode, uh, from character to character as well. Um, So I wanted to maybe knock off a few of the easy ones first. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we can spend a little more time with some of the others. so first, want to just maybe talk about Boomer and Hera a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and their uh, bonding. I guess is mm-hmm. that is that can we call it that? 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, by the end, I think uh, you kind of can say that. Yeah. I mean, it's like the devil you know kind of at the end, right? Like, it, like going, like, like she kind of fusses with Boomer because, you know, Boomer's not her mom and, mm-hmm. you know, she wants a real mom. And, but then at the same time, it's like, well, compared to Cavill, yes. <laughs> Boomer's not that bad. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, Everybody's and, like your mom compared to Cavill. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but like, like there's, you know, Boomer's clearly uh, not the nicest to Hera, you know, yelling mm-hmm. at her, you know, sticking her with needles and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. But you know, she she does talk to her about her house and stuff, and so we kind of brought this up a little bit, like. How much of like the projection was an attempt to mm-hmm. just fool um, Tyrrell into doing mm-hmm. what he does, and I mean it seems like. Well, I'll say this: I infer from mm-hmm. some of what Boomer says here that like it wasn't just wholly a ruse to fool mm-hmm. uh, Tyrrell. That, like, maybe yeah. there is some uh, verisimilitude to her wishes and desires as portrayed by this projection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any, yeah, any, any thoughts on that or anything? But No, and I, I, think, I think Athena backs that up with, with her scene of saying, like, she knows because... Right she downloaded some of Boomer's memories that she can verify the importance of that dream house to her. And that it must've for her to betray that ideal wouldn't have been something she would do lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And I feel like we didn't really mention last time. I, I really like that final image in the last episode of Tyrrell searching the house like after he realizes he's been played yeah, yeah, yeah. and um and he goes looking and boomer's not there um and and then goes to the daughter's room and she's not there and like i feel like that's a really haunting kind of mm. idea um sure so to kind of come back to that here and have boomer kind of showing hera the daughter's room kind of I think kind of communicates again, like the importance of it to her and this idea of the lost child that they never had being something really important to her. And even like her meanness is like, you kind of get like boomers, not Cavill. She's not like a cruel person. It's her meanness is born of her own bitterness of what she doesn't have. Like she's, She's mean to Hera because she doesn't have a daughter of her own, you know? And it's like Hera is this kind of, like Athena, just an, um, another reminder of what she has lost and, mm. you know, or been denied by other people. Um, so, yeah. I mean, again, 
it doesn't change her actions. It doesn't change the fact that she stole her and gave her to Cavill. But, you know, even within the episode, I think you see her pretty quickly losing the ability to be completely cold and ruthless about the whole thing. Sure. Um, yep. Especially, like, once Tara starts, like, projecting with her and everything. Right. And there's this, that kind of... Not just like, oh, you're the daughter I never had, but also there's like a genuine connection and a shared kind of experience there. Yep. Yep. Um, which, you know, so then when she does hand her over to Cavill, that's where, you know, uh, Hera starts calling for Boomer. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. Uh so yeah, um, and so also confirmation then that this was a setup. That bringing Ellen back to the right. Galactica itself was was part of a bigger plan. Mm -hmm. um, right, right. Which I thought well, I that was always my memory, but um, yeah, but I honestly I didn't couldn't remember, remember for sure whether they ever confirmed that or not. So yeah. Yeah, it's kind of explicit here. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I couldn't remember either when um, when we were watching the last episode, so... Mm -hmm. and, and talking about it. Um, yeah. Well, and there is, like, kind of like Athena says, there's some poetic justice there of them stealing each other's identities and, you know, using that to kind of get in with people and manipulate them and do all those sorts of things. Like there's a kind of back to the, you know, back to the beginning sort of feel about her returning the favor that way. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And let's just round that out. Cause I mean, Athena and Tyrrell are kind of an extension of that whole story, right? Like that's, but I don't even know that there's more to say than what you've kind of already said. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just that idea of, because Athena does have Boomer's memories and stuff too, like there's, uh, you know, she, she says she understands, but will never forgive, which is kind of interesting because like you kind of, a lot of time in a lot of forgiveness stories, Mm -hmm. It kind of is understanding that breeds forgiveness, mm. right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of, and, and mm. a lot of like, <laughs> this is maybe why redemption is hard, Andrew could tell us, right? Like, mm. that people don't understand you. And so, like, it's that lack of understanding that prevents forgiveness a lot of times. Right, right. Empathy is the key to. Right. Yeah. And, but like, this is like. Not like not like Athena maybe understands even more than just like explaining to someone and they say, oh, oh, I get it. It's like, no, she actually has up to a point anyway, you know, a lot of boomers memories and certainly the biological and mental, you know, facilities to sort of, you know, well, project, you know, mm -hmm. how boomer must be feeling and. Like of any of anyone else, like whoever could possibly exist, like Athena is as close to 
knowing what Boomer is actually thinking and understanding that. Mm-hmm. And yet she she's not going to forgive Tyrrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, okay, so how much does she understand Tyrrell? I mean, I guess all of that to say that, like, that's all all part of it. Um, I guess the question there that hangs in the balance for me, too, is, like, how much can he even forgive himself? Like, mm. like that, he turns himself in, we learn, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of, like, in the brig, but, like, projecting himself by a river. And, you know, there's a certain element there of, like, him, like, he's just giving up. And so, mm-hmm. like... Like, maybe he feels that this is what he deserves as well, and that that he shouldn't be forgiven. Like, maybe he doesn't feel like he ought to be forgiven by anyone. And, right. Um, so maybe, like, maybe their attitudes aren't actually that far off from each other. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, and, like, when she kind of says, like, I will never forgive you, he just sort of drops the the receiver um yeah which i I had to roll it back because i thought at first that like she ended the conversation but it's him like he just kind of hangs up the phone like that's the end and it kind of made me wonder like that's an interesting reaction after being told that you'll never be forgiven by someone like is it that he you know you could take that as anger at her statement of like you know like how unfeeling or whatever and you know a kind of outrage at that or it could just be that like well there's nothing left to say then like Mm. i guess we're done you know like you you have your position i can't do anything to change it so there's nothing left to talk about um which is a kind of hopeless given up way to you know Correct or not, it's definitely, like, him deciding not to fight her on that. You know, like, he doesn't try to beg for forgiveness or try to change her mind. He just puts down the phone, and that's sort of the end of the discussion. Mm. Yeah. All right, anything else about, like, the whole... Hera, Boomer, Athena, Tyrrell aspect. Um, I mean, I guess the only last thing is jury is out as to Athena's feelings about Hilo's responsibility for the whole thing. Like, sure. she doesn't she doesn't definitively say, "I won't forgive you," like she does to Tyrrell, but like Hilo is trying to beg that forgiveness. Yeah, and and she's just kind of totally a distraught but like be like unable to even really yeah look how, at him and talk to talk how about could it. you not know that wasn't me right yeah. right right is yeah yep um yep all right um so kind of moving on from there then uh Let's talk about Adama. Let's talk about Adama first by talking about people who talk about Adama. <laughs> um, 
That what is what we talk about when we talk about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, oh man. Um, what do we talk about? So we talk about Galactica and Ty and yeah, yeah, and uh, of course Adama Junior. Well, kind yeah. of Lee, um, and the Quorum. Lee and the Quorum, a new band name. Yeah, um, we might have had that one already. I think that's a. I think we've said that. Have one we? Before. Have we not? Um, it's a different makeup of the quorum, though. Mm. Like, they, they've got some new band members, some old ones have left. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, n- not a ton to talk about here, but basically, just trying to, uh, reassure people that, like, his dad's still in control, which is, like, not maybe the reassurance that they all sort of are looking for exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, unless you read it a different way, I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, like the state of the fleet does kind of depend on the, the, the state of, Adama. So I guess there is no way to reassure them without it becoming about like, like is Adama's willpower the only thing that's holding this whole thing together? I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and in a very literal sense of like, it's only because we decide that things are okay, that they're sort of kind of okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's really no other assurance he can give them. Um. Yeah. And I mean, so I mean, obvious as it may be, you know, you before we even were recording, you're kind of like, yeah, obviously there's a symbolic connection between the breakdown of the ship and the breakdown of Adama, the kind of symbolic figurehead of the fleet and everything. Um. Mm-hmm. I guess same as there's a connection between. The, the the dying women in his life, you know, Galactica and Rosalind. Um but like sure. his I was his... trying to think of who the other woman was. Of course it's the ship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um right. So like yes, Galactica like has a cancer in her bones the same way that Rosalind does, but she's also like which they even like literally say at one right, point. Right. Like she has like ship cancer. And like and but like at the same time, it also is resonant with, a you know the, I guess a breakdown from Adama himself too. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean. All right. So like we talked briefly before about like the whole like splayed arm back to the wall <laughs> after like throwing paint and getting it all over his uniform and stuff. Um, right. At least he takes his pin off before that, right? Right. Is yeah, that, you don't want to mess that. up those pins. Um, yeah. I totally forgot about this scene. Because I think, like... I I think I forgot that there was another scene maybe, after the, the breakdown where, like, Lee is well, kind of, like, cradling him and stuff. And I feel like I conflate them because... 
is I this mean, is this the extended part though? Like well, that was actually going to be one of my questions when I was watching it. Was that is what, a good question? What parts are extended? Because I feel like maybe I, maybe we can hope that this is one of the extended. I don't know the answer to that question. I uh, don't know bits. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I feel like one of those scenes was a stretch, but the fact that there are two of them, it's like... Sure. You know, like, wait a minute. You guys saw that first scene and thought that was a good idea to do again? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um. But yeah, they kind of try to get back on track. Um, so with Adama, yes, there's a lot of sort of heavy-handed metaphor going on here um, mm-hmm. between him and his ship and his love life and uh, so many things, I guess. Um, you know... And and even, like, in his resistance to leave and all of that, almost becomes comical. Mm. Um, you know, and I mean, not that, like, I, I don't, like, I get his resistance to transferring to the base ship. Right? Like, I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. I get that, at least. But, mm-hmm. like, to not, to, like, have no other you know, plan or, or idea of like already knowing how much damage the ship has sustained. Like, like, I feel like that, like of all the things that an admiral or a captain or whatever commander should be able to do, like assessing when to abandon ship should be like one of the most important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, he gets there eventually. So Mm -hmm. like, I don't, maybe even maybe want to make too big of a deal out of it. Uh, you know, whatever, but I, I don't know. I just, it's, there's definitely, uh, I don't want to say unnatural, but maybe, you know, like not quite natural <laughs> mm. <laughs> love that he has for his ship. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, we even, so uh, before we start talking, even we're kind of joking around, like, yeah, like at the very beginning of the the series, he's retiring when his ship is retiring. Like, like there's a very much, there's very much not just the physical connection between like the ship and like the, the other woman in his life, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the but between him and the ship, and you know how much how much of the how much of his ship's destruction is causing mental anguish versus you know reflecting mental mm. anguish like how how much cuz we haven't like we've seen him uh what what's the word uh you know not absconding, but like you know the 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 whole like stepping down from his responsibilities. Um, oh, abstaining. Abstaining. But yeah, uh, not abstaining. Sort of. No. Um, like you know, like a uh, 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 
you know, a, a king who, you know, rejects the crown. And, and Yeah, I can't think of the word. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, though, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, like, like that idea of, uh, you know, stepping down and sort of, you know, refusing to kind of deal with things um, in certain cases. And even, like, the amount to which that he's been drunk, like, in recent episodes, it feels like that has sort mm-hmm. of increased. And so, like, how much how much of that is, you know, a cause of his ship being in mm. a state of disrepair? Um, and not to say that there's not legitimate reasons. Like, they've been in a lot of firefights. They've, you know, crashed through, you know, New Caprica atmosphere to save people and, you know, done all kinds mm. of stuff. So it's not like... Uh, you know, it's not like there's not legitimate reasons for, but like that's that's also mental toll that takes on him and losing people and mm-hmm. you know seeing mutinies and civilian uprisings and you know people like Zarek taking over and like coaxing ships within the fleet to jump away and like that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there, there's a, a pull kind of on his own psyche and uh, ability to command that, you know, yeah. seems like it's being physically manifest manifested in the ship it, as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Abdicate was the word. Abdicate. That's the word I was trying to think of. Thank you. Oh, man, that was bugging the heck out of me. Because uh, um, I kept, I'm like, abjuring, no, absconding, with a, with uh, an a. Yeah. no. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. not it. Um, yes, abdicate. Um, well, so, yeah, and um, Ty kind of says, like, you know, they're talking about the old lady like some sort of mothballed relic. And it's like, yeah. Like, it was going was, to be. It should have been. Literally, was the first episode was like putting Galactica on Moth. That was the plan. Like this was like this day one was like yep. it's a museum now and let's set up the gift shop and like have tours and it's you can just sit there and be retired and the admiral was or he wasn't admiral then but you know Adama was supposed to retire along with it. Um, yep. So the fact that it's even made it as far as it has is sort of remarkable. But what is, yeah, what is the value of clinging to it past the point of its capabilities? Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and it's going to have a a circular effect of the more the Galactica breaks down, the worse Adama's mental health is going to get. And then vice versa, like, the, the longer he continues down this path and doesn't let go or figure out another way, the worse the ship is going to get, you know, because he's kind of continuing to put it through right. all of this strain, forcing it to keep going. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. The, so, like, and even, like, his reluctance and waiting on things like you know he doesn't give Tyrrell the go-ahead right away to like make these repairs and like does that how much of of that 
you know, sort of hesitation, you know, leads to like just worsening of the problem and that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so, well, we were supposed to talk about Galactica last, but we kind of covered that. So now mm-hmm. let's talk about his other woman, <laughs> Roslyn. The other woman in his life, I should say. Yeah. Uh, she is also not faring very well. Mm-hmm. Um, very sick. Um, seems to be dying. Um, so. Right. And Adama's just as in denial about her as he is about everything. Right. Well, I was, else. yeah, I was just looking at the quote of like, you know, neither, neither one of my women are dying, but by the end of the episode, he's saying we're abandoning ship and Rosalind saying to him, you must feel like I'm abandoning you. Like there's mm-hmm. like, how much more direct parallel do we need? Right. Like, sure. Uh, between the two, um, this isn't like accidental metaphor, right? No. <laughs> um, no. They, you know, she's self-medicating. Um, yeah. Which Galactica isn't quite yet, but they're using um, alternative treatments on the Galactica sure. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I like how, again, uh, whenever they pull out the new Caprica doobies, Rosalind <laughs> right. gets, like, really, like, philosophical in her, like... You know, a couple puffs, and she's like, hmm. But let's talk about the idea of home. You know, yeah. like, she's always like, right. <laughs> let's talk well, about that cabin in the woods. And, you know, that's exactly where her mind goes. And, I mean, maybe this is typical of, you know, the type of drug that she's taking. But, like, they're always sort of like greeting card philosophy, though. Right? Like, sure. what is home? Is it a place or an absence inside of us? Like... This yeah. isn't really, like, this isn't, like, grad school level philosophy. It's, like, philosophy 101. Sure. Right? Like, sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, well, I mean, she... And, and I think that, that does have to do a little bit with the fact that it's a a, a high-induced philosophy. Right. Well, right? that's what like I'm saying. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, the method of, you know, uh, stimulating such thoughts... Is maybe, you know, what leads to, to that. But, I mean, and not that they're bad thoughts or, you know, things that people shouldn't think about. But it it is kind of like... With her, like, isn't that what she was doing even right? Like, I mean, we're kind of making a lot of parallels right to the beginning of the series. And that's perhaps perfectly fine because we're nearing the end of the series. Um but she was all about the connection from the very beginning, like mm-hmm. her and her and Lee and, you know, jumping around in colonial one, at, you know, to save people and bring them aboard and, you know, making sure that the survivors and the fleet kind of stayed together and um, mm-hmm. versus Adama, who just wanted to run off and fight the Cylons to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So for her to be thinking about the physical location of home versus you know, belonging together and bringing people together is, is 
kind of an exploration of her character the entire series. And, and maybe she at times gets more away from that than others. But um, I do feel like right from the beginning, that is kind of what she's all about is staying connected, trying to fight to make sure people don't lose each other in the big wideness of space and, mm-hmm. you know, from death of Cylon. Um, and then like, you know, her saying, you know, how she only feel like, feels truly at home with Adama is, mm-hmm. you know, it took a while maybe to get there, but mm-hmm. that's like, I think not surprising to us at this point, but, um, you know, kind of, kind of hammers that home, so to speak. Uh, yeah. 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 And that. You know, she had, they all had um, lives and everything before the, you know, the loss of the colonies, but that at least for her, maybe not for everybody, I don't mean to make it sound like the genocide was a good thing. Um, So I don't mean it that way, but like she, the the place she felt most at home in her life was in the context of this, you know, complete uh, uh, tragedy and, you know, diaspora where the home has been wiped out, but, like, even under these, like, worst of circumstances, she still found connection and, sure, you know, meaning and fulfillment and everything. Um, yeah, that... Which, you know, at least put something of a... Again, it doesn't make the evil good to have been. I was just thinking the same quote. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, Yeah, shocking. Um, But like, but like, even in those worst of circumstances, there can be, you know, hope for that, I guess. Um, And in the context of like, even without the, the attack on the colonies and being chased by Cylons, it was like, also the day that she got her diagnosis. So it's in the context of her end of life that she finds somebody she feels that connected with. Mm-hmm. Even if it does take a long time, it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't gone through the things that she did. Yeah. Um... All right. So, I mean, we kind of covered the other things we were going to talk about with Adama, which is the Galactica and breaking down and it, and sort of his own mm-hmm. mental breakdown along with that. And then, you know, ultimately the, the decision being to abandon ship. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of last thoughts there before we... We've still got, like, two two more people to cover. Two major. Um, well, so maybe to transition over to Starbuck um, and her conversation with Hilo, um, I realized I wanted to at least mention the scene with Hilo and Adama, so maybe we can, like, transition true. that way. Because um, that's, like, the best scene that Tom O'Panikit ever does, I think. <laughs> like, you know, that, like... Just completely, I don't even know what adjectives to use for it. Like, mm. um, 
the kind of like humility with which he approaches it, you know, or something. I don't know. Like the fact that like he literally is just begging. Like it's not, it has no sense of like official request. It's just like, I have no idea what to do. No idea what to do with myself. You know, his wife won't even barely look at him. Like, just any hope and prayer that maybe Adama will give him a raptor and just start randomly looking, like, anywhere. Mm. Um, and, like, it doesn't even matter that that will never work. It just, he has to, like, give it a try. Because he can't just not do something. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that there's, I don't know that I have anything more illuminating to say about it other than to kind of praise the acting there. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, then he also sticks it to Starbuck, which is great. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. So let's go there. <laughs> Because uh, Starbucks kind of ne- next on the list. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, still stuck on like the song and stuff. Mm-hmm. Still stuck on, like, herself being dead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, Hilo, you're here and my daughter isn't. Like, I literally don't care about anything you're saying right now. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which, he's being a pretty good sport up until then. Like, they're, like, having drinks and even kind of, like, it's a... It's a black kind of humor, but they're kind of laughing and whatever. And, like, I guess just kind of watching him come to that conclusion of, like, you know, under these circumstances, really couldn't care less yeah. about, like, you know. And, like, fair enough. When has Hilo never been the reliable person who's been there for... It's, like, it's it's his turn to be completely distraught about something. Um you know, and I think Starbuck needs a good kick in the butt every so often to get her out of her, you know, myopic sort of mm-hmm. poor me mood. Um, sure. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, you're right that he loves me and goes for it. Like, it kind of reminds me of that, like, you get stuck in a bar and... Like, there's someone talking to you, and you're just like, okay, like, whatever. And then, you know, I mean, not that I get to this point very often, but, yeah, you just want to, like, be like, all right, look, I came out to, like, have fun, listen to a band, and you're just being the worst, like, downer in the world. Like, just right. shut up. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean... He does kind of give it to her. I, you know, so this is, 
was it on the podcast where I was talking about the whole chain of of yelling? Um, like oh, this. I don't know if we were recording or not. Maybe <laughs> the, not. The, this is the How I Met Your Mother, you know, Barney Stinson's, you know, chain of yelling. Uh, you know, where like the the executive yells at the manager who yells at the employee who yells at, you know, his wife or, you know, whatever. And who yells at like the kid uh, who then like goes to school and yells at some other kid who who's like, the child of the executive. And so it becomes like this whole like cyclical, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Um, I mean, maybe this isn't as cyclical here, but it's like, it's that Athena, you know, mistrusting or, you know, being disgusted with that. We kind of talked earlier about with yeah. Hilo. Um, and then maybe, you know, I mean, it's not yelling. Exactly. But it's like that idea of like, then like maybe he takes it out a little on Starbuck, um, mm-hmm. who isn't wholly undeserving of it, obviously. But uh, yeah, like you get the feeling that like maybe on any other day, like because he seems like a fairly patient guy overall. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe on any other day he would have like put up with even more than he does here. But yeah, uh, yeah, just kind of gets that. Um, in, into her, uh, well, and it, and it carries more weight because of that, you know, like, you know, that Hilo wasn't, he, he, he's not the type to just sure not listen or call her out every time she's having a hard time. Like that he's somebody who it really takes a lot to get him to this point of not being able to be the, the, that kind of ever patient, loyal kind of best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it kind of a, you know, indicator of things must be pretty bad. If even Hilo is saying to you like, Hey, uh, yeah. Quit moaning. And I can't listen to this anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, Starbuck, um, well, so so the inter- so one of the interesting things here is too is that the the sort of distinction between what Hilo says about like it doesn't matter because you're here and my daughter isn't, um, mm. you know, contrasting that with what Lee says about mm. you know it doesn't matter because you're still here and I'm glad mm-hmm. you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, there's also, uh, you know, in thinking about Starbuck, like, I feel like that's maybe the the dual pull that we get with her quite a bit throughout the series of, like, we're glad you're here, but we wish you'd go away sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Sure. Um, or, or that, yeah, like, maybe... Like, obviously, she's very capable and useful at times, but maybe there's times where, like, she just, her her skills are either going to waste or she's, like, being too aggressive or too, um, she's using her skills in ways that are detrimental rather than helpful or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get both, both ends of it. 
um, there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like the, the idea of you're here, like in the context of what even is she, is she dead? Is she an angel? Like all this stuff, like sure. how much is she even here to begin with? Um, right. Is, is a, is a question. Um, so Yep. Yeah, so even that contrast, there's some debate about whether or not she's even here, um, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, and so we should talk about, uh, well, okay, so, sorry, I keep, like, kind of skipping back and forth, because, like, like that is the conversation she has kind of with Baltar. And I know we haven't really gotten to Baltar yet, but mm-hmm. um Baltar's sort of talking about angels and stuff, and uh she sort of thinking and wondering about what she is and why she's here and whatever, um, you know, says, you know, I'm not an angel. Like that's mm-hmm. of, of all the things that I know, like, this is one thing that I know for sure. I'm not an angel, mm-hmm. you know, suck at Baltar. Um, as he's like talking about angels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, right. And it's like, well, he's riffing on angels because of the angels he sees around him daily, right? That he's talking about. But, like, he only thinks of Starbuck that way because she brings it up, right? So Mm. as much as she's saying, oh, I know I'm no angel, she's also saying, hey, you know, I died and found my own body and here's my blood for you to test. So she's the one also planting the idea in him of, like, might there be more angels or, or like, what does this even mean? Might there even be people among us that we don't really know Mm. how they got there or, you know, have these kind of secrets to be revealed? Um, Sure. Like, whereas I feel like until she says that to him, the only, the only thing he could mean by that is like the head characters. Right. I mean, that would be, yeah. I mean, unless he's metaphorically talking about his harem. Sure. Yes, his other angels. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um. But of course, so the other the other thing then with Starbuck is her visit to see Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I mean, dark uh, a bit. The whole, you know, yeah, talking about bullet to his head and mm-hmm. you know putting a gun to his head. Um, but mm-hmm. then also the yeah, and I, you know what I forgot that so that like worked really well of like oh that moment when she pulls the gun like I kind of didn't see that coming sure um, wasn't prepared for it. Um, sorry, excuse me. Uh, 
Yeah, but then, like, Sam the Hybrid speaks up and, like, says the Hybrid's prophecy about her and Mm -hmm. uh, perks her up a little bit. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how much to delve into that, I guess, like, other than just that there seems to be something going on here you know, a little more, uh, uh, under the surface than, than Starbuck knows about. And maybe, uh, yeah, maybe she doesn't want to kill Sam quite yet. (laughs) No, no, he might be a little more valuable than that. Um, and it's like, as long as characters are being connected with Galactica. He literally gets like plugged into Galactica. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there's just not, it's not like, Oh, he's symbolically connected. It's like, there's a physical thing, you know, like with connecting him up to the power grid, he becomes the hybrid for Galactica, right? Like in theory, he sure. could jump it if he wanted to. Well, um, don't know whether the ship would survive that, but it, could be done um and there's because of the the organic goo they're using there's a kind of like melding of of sam with the the thought and function of the ship yeah which is interesting because going way back to the beginning again Adama's whole thing was that like the Galactica would never be networked, but no networking. This yeah. is kind <laughs> of the this is the network. Not only is it networking, it's networked now with Cylon parts, mm-hmm. like which is I'm sure so Adama did not think of that. He, ever, yeah. <laughs> he did right. not. He, there's no way that he thought that that would be an outcome right. when he like he's thinking it's a biological compound and so it's growing, not. My ship is now networked with Cylon technology. The thing that they tried so hard, and I mean, remember when Gaeta tried so hard with the firewalls and whatever to like make sure that didn't happen. You know, the Mm -hmm. one time they had to connect everything, and like they managed to succeed. And like, like now it's like not even like like not only is it like they're not. They're trying not to get, you know, infected, but, like, they're actively infecting themselves with, like, mm-hmm. all of this, you know, biological material and stuff, so. Right, and between the, the uh, you know, the living organic goo they're using and, and the function of Sam as the hybrid, the ship is very much alive at this point. Like, yeah. literally. Um biologically alive so um and yeah that's like networking at a whole other level than adama ever imagined it could possibly be um and forget his you know distaste at you know, setting up quarters on the base star like he kind of made the galactica a base star in a way sure yeah right right which is kind of funny to see all the hand-wringing about Losing the old girl, well, they've kind of lost her anyway in a sense of she's certainly never going to be the same as, you know, she's evolved into this whole other thing, even if they manage to find a way to keep it going. 
Um, right. Like it's never going to be the old girl again in any case. Um, so really why is the base ship that much more distasteful? Yeah. Um, other than for some sentimental reasons, but right. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hybrid Sam is pretty, pretty chilling, but um, an interesting kind of twist, I think, for the character. And like you see it coming, but like it's nice to kind of see it fully revealed. Of like he has his own tub of goo and like his own little hybrid chamber, you know, like. Even if they set it up over several episodes, it's kind of fun to see the full reveal of, like, pure hybrid Sam, you know? Yeah. For sure. All right. Um, anything else with Starbuck? I know we kind of jumped around a bit with her. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think everything else is pretty straightforward, that, like, she knows the music is important as you know as we, can as tell we her. all do yeah <laughs> um and and is you know determined to sit with sam and they're gonna figure it out together um so yeah um all right uh Baltar, then, I think is the last uh, last bit we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, like the the reveal there with him sort of like telling everyone about Starbucks' deep dark secret that mm-hmm. she's really dead but isn't dead. Um, yeah. I mean, I not really like that's kind of kind of I guess left to the next episode to see the full f- effect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's our bridge, I guess. Um, so yeah. no, I don't know. Maybe there's I, not that much. Yeah, I don't know if there's um, anything more to say about that other than just it happens. Um, and obviously, like, is the callback to the speech about angels and whatnot. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And I guess like his, I mean, he's done a lot of, um, preaching, but I guess it's kind of the first time he ever overtly starts to make reference to, these, you know, angels that walk among us. And this idea of he's not just directed by God in, you know, the sense of, oh, I hear a still small voice who speaks to me, but like, I literally see this woman who follows me around and reminds me to follow God's path and to trust him and tells me what to do. (laughs) Like, you know, like it's the closest he's come to like telling Mm. other people that um of course he does it by spilling starbucks secret rather than his own but still like it's like his private theology becomes a little bit more explicit i guess 
Sure. Uh, otherwise, Baltar seems to be doing, doing all right, I guess. Um, yeah. He, uh, yeah, like he's kind of moving and shaking and got the harem hopping. Uh, yeah. I, I love when um, one of the quorums says something about, what would Baltar think about that? I love Lee's. Guys, yeah. Baltar, like just when I like, thought we were freaking rid yeah. of that guy, like, like seriously, <laughs> yeah, like he's not the president who cares what Baltar thinks about anything, but people always care what Baltar thinks about things. Yeah, we um, keep. When are you gonna? Well, I mean, we keep making the same mistakes with our politicians, as is evidenced by votes and things going on That's right now. Um, so yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it just happens. You just, for some reason, there are just some people who, no matter how royally they screw up, yeah, people are always going to look to them for advice and counsel and leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using those terms in air quotes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, no, that is a funny moment of like just his pure bemused anger like Gaius Baltar (laughs) uh yeah yeah no that's that's a funny uh but yeah funny line reading no I mean there's so like they're like Baltar's crew like so you know last time we we saw like Adama giving him and his people guns you know to take control over the food distribution in Dogtown or Dogsville mm-hmm. or whatever they call it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But now it's like they're getting requests from, like, other ships to do the same thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of have their pick of where they can go. And mm-hmm. and also, like, seeing, seeing the writing, or rather the cracks on the walls... Um, mm-hmm you know, before Adama does and kind of realizing that they need to get moving sooner rather than later. Um, Paula still seems happy with her guns. And so she's helping him out and kind of helping to run things. And yeah, she has guns and food. So yes, pretty happy with things. Yes. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, from what we can see for Baltar, he is doing rather well. Like, his first genuine stab at um, altruism and leadership is actually, so far, seeming to go okay. Um, so so here's the question. You know, he kind of chases down Caprica 6 um, and you know, asks after her and everything. And, um, she kind of cuts him off and says, um, you know, the, the problem is that you haven't changed, but I have. Uh Um, is that true? I wonder. Um, and I don't necessarily have a definitive answer or even know what my own definitive answer is, but I think given that his harem is doing okay, um, I don't know. I don't know that that's quite as obvious as the way that Caprica states it, mm-hmm. but 
or maybe not. Maybe this is yet another Baltar, you know, uh, what seems to be genuineness, which is really self-serving underneath, you know, um, and it'll all end in tears when he inevitably abandons the harem for some reason or another, you know? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm of the school that even altruism is selfish. So, you know, sure. like not that, not that that makes it necessarily bad, but just that like one of the reasons why people do good things is because it feels good. Right. Like, and, mm -hmm. and, you feel good doing good things for other people. So like that doesn't make it bad. Like that doesn't make it, you know, mm -hmm. a bad thing to like feel good about helping people. But, mm -hmm. but if that good feeling didn't come with it, I think a lot fewer people would do things that we generally consider good. Sure. So that said, is that what Caprica is talking about? I don't think so. Like I think, I think she is probably so. I mean, yeah. Like, what are the options? Either she's right or she's not right, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, those are those are the only two. Either she's like correct in saying that Baltar is uh, hasn't changed at all. Um, in which case, then yeah. Like, is this just? like any other sort of altruistic or seemingly altruistic thing that he's done, you know, at any other time, is it ultimately self-serving? Possibly. Um, I mean, he doesn't feel that way. Cause like he, he's, he said, we saw him saying to head six that it felt good to do things for other people. So I don't, mm. I don't, know that that's entirely true. Um, so does that mean then that Caprica six is wrong in, in her assessment? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know that I like even just having sort of said that maybe it could be true. Like, I don't know that we have enough to judge yet, <laughs> like sure. of whether it's true. Um, Cause again, like, what is it that he kind of ultimately got from this? He got like power and guns and like something that literally nobody ever thought Adamo would be willing to give him, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in, in all these things, given his history, given. So like, and he's like once more has political clout and can kind of do whatever he wants to do. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know that it's wrong to say that like, he maybe has changed, but kind of is still getting the same outcomes as he got before. I don't know. Sure. I, don't, I don't think it's clear cut, I guess, is yeah. ultimately yeah. where I land. Yeah. No. And I think I agree with that because like things just tend to happen to him. Like, and maybe and it's for his, him, you know, <laughs> and for him, maybe it's his like hand of God status of like, you know, Yes, he gives those speeches to the the harem and to Adama, but like things just seem to work out. And you know, like 
he could give those speeches and have Adama completely deny him or other, like the fact that like kind of what Hesek says of if you're, you know, whenever he is faithful to, you know, his path, things do just sort of go his way and happen around him. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It is like, it, even without him really trying that hard to make them so, I guess, is the question. Like his new state as, you know, this leader of this new charitable, <laughs> like, his, you know. His charitable cult militia. His charitable cult, like, militia. how much did he even really maneuver to make that happen? Yeah. Like how much of it was like, he made a couple okay speeches and people just <laughs> right. bent over backward to like, go along with it. So, um, you know, but I think we have like privately seen, um, like whether it's to head six or like, there's that part during the mutiny when he goes to the base ship, but then kind of to a six over there in bed with her, of course, like, well, expresses, yeah. duh. but like they're alone, like there's not a big audience and he expresses like, the regret over abandoning his harem in that situation. And that it, I have, you know, these people look up to me and I have a responsibility and, you know, sure. I sh and, and so I think like there's at least indicators of change. If it's not a full, you know, guaranteed personality change at this point. I mean, I, and there's maybe some evidence in both directions. Like you're saying, I think, Baltar is always sincere in expressing regret and asking for forgiveness. Yes, sure. I don't know that that means he changes every time he does that. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, well, I, and so I, think, I guess there needs to be some sort of, um, like test of his sincerity right, here. Yeah. Right. Like things, like when he, things are going well. Exactly. When, there, when the inevitable hard place comes, the, how does he react? Yeah, this is the question. So, yeah, sudden but inevitable betrayal. Yes, right. Um, yeah, no, and that's kind of the as you were talking, that's kind of the same conclusion I was coming to was that he, yeah, like he's kind of at the top of his game right now, and. Does that mean he's just going to keep gaining more confidence and, you know, becoming more conceited and all of this stuff that, like, we sort of historically associate with him? Hmm. Um, you know, maybe. But that's a conversation that will have to ne happen next week. Yeah. When we see where it all goes. Um. All right. Well, on that note, I guess uh, we've got the next episode of Angel called Calvary. Hmm. And uh, we got some more BSG with some more extended episode editions hmm. uh, of uh, coming up on the last few episodes here. Right. Part one of the finale. Yep. So... Right. Uh, yeah, part one of the, it, it's a three-part finale, right? Yes. So, uh, 
yeah, you're, we're, 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 we're here. We're gonna... We have arrived. Yep. All right. Sounds good. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.